today is going to be another talk, another thoughts about prayer. And that's what we've think, been thinking about the last few weeks. And after today, we've just got two more <coughs> Sunday mornings when we're thinking about prayer. And then it's going to be a few things over December, and then we're on to new topics in the new year. Last week, we were thinking about prayers in the Bible. And we sort of had these sheets about, and I said, yes, by next week, we'll be sort of have to make three uh, A3 sheets with all these prayers in. We haven't got any A3 sheets with the prayers in just yet, but they are still available on our website that you can see, and hopefully by next week I'll have got round to putting them on A3, so then you can easily use them at home if you want to. But like I say, they are on the website already, so if you want to look at the 57 prayers that I'd found from the Bible, one from each book that's got a prayer in it, prayers, benedictions and doxologies, then you're welcome to. That'll be fine. Last week we were thinking about prayers in the Bible, but we were thinking about two main things as well. One of them was spending longer allows a change to happen. And if you remember, if you were here, Paul sat here, or thereabouts, and he had his hand in a jug. And he took his hand out after a minute, and not a lot had changed apart from having a wet hand. But then after about another 10 or 15 minutes, just sitting here looking at all of you, his hand came out and it was wrinkly. And so we're saying, yeah, if we spend time in God's presence by soaking for longer in God's presence, then we know that our lives will change even more than they do at the moment. That's a little recap from last week. Today, though, we're thinking about remembering with thanks, looking back and not just forward. So already today we've been thinking about remembering things, looking back, remembering our, our sort of family or friends of family that died in the world wars and subsequent wars. And nearly every place in this country has got some sort of memorial stone, cross or whatever it might be, because nearly every village, town, hamlet, city in this country and many around the world, people died in the wars. And so they had their names put together on a plaque or if it was inside or on stone if it was outside so that we could remember it. They're really common now, aren't they? We go around and we don't perhaps even notice them. But a hundred years ago, there were very few of these stones around in this country anyway because there hadn't been that many big battles, big wars. We'd sort of had the Boer Wars and the Crimean War and the Napoleonic Wars and wars in Asia, but not thousands and thousands and millions of people had died. And so there weren't that many uh, memorial stones around. But the First World War changed that. It affected thousands of families because nearly every family was affected. Someone had died. Here's my family, the Stevensons, and this is 1912. And what happened is, in 1912, this man got married. But can you see his dates underneath? He got married in 1912, but 1917, he died at Passchendaele. Just about 10 days ago, I was celebrating sort of the 100th anniversary of his death. Celebrating is the wrong word. Remembering the 100th anniversary of his death. Six months later, his best man and his next oldest brother... He died in the First World War. Charlie, his name was. Here's my granddad, just at the top. 
there. That's my granddad. And he died in 1968, so he had another 50 years of life after his two brothers had died. And then my Uncle Edgar, right on the right-hand side, he had loads more years. He died when he was 89. And he had years and years of being a minister in the Anglican church and an archdeacon and all kinds of things, wearing pretty clothes and things like that he wore. But the significance was, after 1918, these two people weren't in the family anymore. By the way, this date here is their father, who died 11 years earlier. But the war affected people. They were numb from the influence of war. Someone prayed about that, I think, didn't they, about about how the war affected people and still continues to affect people. Life had changed. And so the landscape of our cities and the Neaton and wherever we live changed because these stones went up. Older people still perhaps remember the Second World War. I've heard about it because my parents were little. So they were sort of not even teenagers. They were in their single years then. And they've told me a bit about it. But I don't, I don't know about it apart from reading about it. But some of you definitely still remember what happened in the Second World War. You remember it. We've been thinking over the last few weeks about different types of prayer. And here are some. And today we're sort of especially thinking about thanks being specific. But I suppose the trouble is for all of us, we have a problem. Is anyone here a little forgetful? I'm sometimes not a little forgetful. I'm a lot forgetful. But God's so good for us, good, good to us, isn't he? Because he helps us, because he knows we need help. And the reason is, we're not the only ones that need help. It's not just us that are forgetful about even just silly things like you go to the shop and you think, what did I come here for? Or you go to the next room even sometimes and you think, what did I go upstairs for? And things like that. We just forget things, don't we? And so we can be forgetful, we can be distracted by other things and we forget about the important things. Psalm 103, verses 1 to 5, says this. Praise the Lord, my soul. All my, all my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Oh, I love those verses. But there's that tricky verse verse 2, and forget forget not all his benefits. In the Living Bible it says this, yes, I will bless the Lord and not forget the glorious things he does for me. Glorious things. I like that word. But sometimes, again, we forget, don't we? Now, in the Bible, people still forgot, just like we do now. And so God was really kind to the people that lived in the Bible times. And he helped them. Now, if we look at Joshua 4, 1 to 9, we're going to read just a little bit about that. 
And you don't need to turn to it if you don't want to, but I can just read it out nice and easily. So this is Joshua 4, 1 to 9. And something amazing just happened. Because the Israelites had gone to Egypt, hadn't they? But then God created a miracle, and out they came. But then there was some sinfulness and nastiness, so they ended up going around the wilderness for a long time. But then God sorted it out, and they came out. And what happened when they came out of the wilderness? What's the big event? What did they cross? The River Jordan, right. They crossed the River Jordan. So this is sort of what's happened just. So they're elated. Whoa, they're saying, because God's just amazed us. This river has just been separated. And so they've just walked across and praised God as they did it. But God wanted them to remember about it. And this is God's idea here. When the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Choose twelve men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up twelve stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priests are standing, and carry them over with you, and put them down at the place where you stay tonight. So Joshua called together the twelve men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and said to them, Go over, by the, uh, go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites, to serve as a sign among you. In the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When, I cross, when it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. So the Israelites did as Joshua commanded them. They took 12 stones to the middle of the Jordan, according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites, as the Lord had told Joshua, and they carried them over with them to their camp where they put them down. Joshua set up the 12 stones that had been in the middle of the Jordan at the spot where the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant had stood, and they are there to this day. Now, probably they're not there to this day, but years ago, they were there to this day. So can you imagine? I've just got a small stone in here. Can you imagine some big fella, sort of because it would need a big fella to carry a big stone, would pick a stone up from where they'd been in the Jordan and then they took it out and sort of all this kind of stuff because it was big and heavy and then they put it on the other side. And then 11 other people were doing exactly the same thing, these big stones they were carrying out of the Jordan and then they put them on the ground and created a nice rock altar, something they'd look at just by where God had done something miraculous and something brilliant, and there was this altar made of stones, of 12 stones, and they'd walk past and think, God did something significant for me there. God was amazing. God was brilliant. God came true. God did what he said he was going to do. And maybe a generation or two later, the people had all died off who'd crossed the Jordan. And so it's sort of saying, if you forget about it, the stones are still there to remind ourselves about what's gone on. It was a place to worship God. It was a place where, uh, where they could remember what God had done for them. And so it's really helpful because there were some other altars built and there's some other ones as well, but it's all on the screen or in the notes if you get it off the internet. 
it's really helpful to remember what God has done. Now, lots of the Bible points backwards and says, don't forget what God has done. He's done this, he's done that. And Psalm 136 is brilliant for reminding us what God has done. You're probably familiar with it, because Psalm 136 is 26 verses where someone says, la, 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 God has done brilliant. And the refrain, everyone else over here says, yes, God was brilliant and he loves us and he's wonderful. So what we're going to do is do that just now. Now, I've got two willing volunteers, that would be Fiona and Jill, and they're going to stand up and say <coughs> what the verse says, the first bit of the verse. And if you've got your Bible, you can read it in your head as well as, well as they do it. And what I want us to do is to give a response. This is the response. His unchanging and committed love endures forever. So, whoever's starting first, they're going to stand up and lead us with this, with enthusiasm and marvellousness. And then every time they pause, we know we're going to say, his unchanging and, and committed love endures forever. How does that sound? Great. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His unchanging and committed love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods. His unchanging and committed love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. To him who alone does great wonders. Changing and committed love endures forever. Who, by his understanding, made the heavens. His unchanging and committed love endures forever. Who spread out the earth upon the waters. His unchanging and committed love endures forever. Who made the great lights. His unchanging and committed love endures forever. The sun to govern the day. His unchanging and committed love endures forever. The moon and stars to govern the night. His unchanging and committed love endures forever. To him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt. His unchanging and committed love endures forever. And brought Israel out from among them. His unchanging and committed love endures forever. With a mighty hand and outstretched arm. His unchanging and committed love endures forever. To him who divided the Red Sea asunder. His unchanging and committed love endures forever. And brought Israel through the midst of it. His unchanging and committed love endures forever. But swept Pharaoh and his army into the Red Sea. His unchanging and committed love endures forever. To him who led his people through the desert. His unchanging and committed love endures forever. Who struck down great kings. His unchanging and committed love endures forever. And killed mighty kings. His unchanging and committed love endures forever. Sion, king of the Amorites. His unchanging and committed love endures forever. And Og, king of Bashan. His unchanging and committed love endures forever. 
and gave their land as an inheritance. His His unchanging and committed love endures forever. An inheritance to his servant Israel. His His unchanging and committed love endures forever. To the one who remembered us in our low estate. His unchanging and committed love endures forever. And freed us from our enemies. His unchanging and committed love endures forever. And who gives food to every creature. His unchanging and committed love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of heaven. His unchanging and committed love endures forever. It's really insistent, isn't it? Have we got the picture? God's unchanging and committed love endures forever. But how do we get that feeling? Because we've thought about all the different things that God's done for us. 26 ways or 26 times we've been thinking, yes, God did this. And then we can say, his unchanging and committed love endures forever. And for me, it makes me want to go, yes, because it reminds me of how good and brilliant and faithful God is. If I didn't remind myself of those things, I might be a bit more gloomy. I might be a bit more, well, what's this Christian faith all about? But as we remind ourselves, maybe just remind ourselves by saying it to ourselves or saying to each other what God has done for us, then that's fantastic. Sometimes we give testimonies in church. And early in the new year, March, there's going to be a service. Well, it's fairly early in the new year. In March, there's going to be a service where it's just lots of people giving testimonies because it's such a good way to worship God and to remember the good things that God has done. Once a month, we definitely remember what God has done. When we think about the Last Supper, now some people call it the Last Supper, some people call it the Lord's Supper, some people call it Holy Communion, and that's from the Latin, sharing in common, that's from. And some people call it the Eucharist, and that's from a Greek word which means give thanks. And to me, I don't say it very often, But in my head, I think Eucharist, because it reminds me of giving thanks. I think of the Greek word and think, yeah, I'm giving thanks today for what Jesus has done for me. So the first Sunday in every month, we take communion, and that's a great reminder. Remember, Jesus said in the Last Supper, the Lord's Supper, this do in remembrance of me. And even Paul, when he wrote about it in 1 Corinthians 11, He was sort of saying the same thing, do it in remembrance of Jesus dying for us and of his resurrection. So it's really helpful in our worship to focus on things that God has done, whether that's worship together collectively or worship at home on our own. We can just worship God and say, thank you, Lord, for doing this. Your mercy, your constant and committed love endures forever. The good thing about looking back as well is it reminds us who we are. Sinners, but changed sinners. Remember, maybe we might remember 1 Peter, how he says, we are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. So our lives have been changed. We know who we are, sinners, but changed because 
we know who God is. We can remember the good things as we remind ourselves about what has happened in the past so we remember what we are, but we remember who God is as well. And it's three or four main ways to remind us. We can read the Bible, and just like we've done already today, we can sort of say, God, you sort of separated the River Jordan and let the Israelites go through, or you died for us, or so many things in the Bible that we can read, and just say, thank you, Lord, for that. Thank you that you've done that in the past. Thank you that you were amazing. We can read people's biographies or autobiographies, and we can say, Lord, even 30 years ago you were doing this, or 100 years ago you were doing the other. We can just give thanks to God because he's, he touches people and does amazing things. Or in our own memories, we can remind ourselves about how God's changed a habit we weren't happy about, or God healed us and something amazing happened, or a friend became a Christian after you've been praying for several years. They became a Christian in the end because of God's faithfulness. So as we sort of look back and read the Bible or biographies or just in our own memories, maybe you've got some diaries at home that you might get out and just read them or maybe you want to just look at some newspapers that you've got, either local ones or national ones, and just remember what God's done either locally or nationally or internationally and say, Lord, thank you. My memory's poor, but you've helped us by doing these things to help us. So, we're giving thanks, as well as all these other things. And I'm encouraging you today to look back at the big things and the small things that God's done in your lives, and maybe make it a regular thing in your quiet time, to say, thank you, Lord, you've done this, you've been brilliant to me, thank you, Lord. Before we start on all these other prayers, we can start by saying, thank you, Lord, you are wonderful, you are my Lord. We can make our thanks a large part of our devotions to God. And sometimes it might be that we want to create something in our heads, just like a picture, just so we can say, yes, Lord, I can picture what you did for me, and just remind yourself. Maybe collectively we could do something together. Some old churches have these big stone monuments, don't they, in the church that here lies so-and-so because they were faithful to God or they did so-and-so. Now, of course, in our church... We don't go for that kind of stuff. But I don't know if you've ever seen it. Right in the foyer, as you come in, ages ago, years ago, Paul puts uh, uh, several pages from the Direction magazine about how the Lord gave this building to NCF. That's a real memorial, isn't it? A, a memory aid to help us remember what God has done for us. But of course, as we remember what God has done for us, we don't want to just stay there. We also want to say, God, what's next? Because even though it's great to go to the past and say, thank you, Lord, for doing this in the past. Thank you for reminding us of the good things that you've done. We can't live in the past. We can't keep going there. We can't stay there. It might seem like a safe place because we're familiar with it. Maybe it's comfortable going back 20, 30, 50 years but we've got to move on sometimes. Now, as I was saying earlier, I had to travel to West Malvern the other day on Wednesday. It's only 60 miles, but there was one book I didn't take with me. And that was my 1937 AA handbook. Because I, it's got lots of maps, 
and it tells you about lots of different places, but the roads have changed a little bit in the last 80 years, and so if I use this map to help me to get to past Worcester and everything like that, first of all, it's not such a great map because it's just like just two pages, like uh, you can't see it, but there's a bit of Scotland, so it doesn't go into great detail, but, but you can see that the roads have changed. There's no M5, there's no M42. So taking this and using this, even though I like reading through it now and again because it's fascinating, I enjoy reading this, it would have been of no help for me whatsoever because it might be that if you use a, an atlas from five years ago, it's kind of all right, and I do. But if you use an atlas from 80 years ago or a map from 80 years ago, it's not going to help you so much, is it? And if we live in the past, that's not going to help us so much always for what's going on today. And it's certainly not going to help us for what's going on in five months' time or ten years' time. Because what we're familiar with, what we've used in the past, isn't always going to be useful for what we're doing now. Isaiah 43, verses 18 and 19, it says this. But forget all that. It is nothing compared to what I am going to do. For I am about to do something new. See, I have already begun. Do you not see it? I will make a pathway through the wilderness. I will create rivers in the dry wasteland. Now, of course, Isaiah was talking to the people, those in, in that day, this message. But could that message be for us as well? Could God be doing something new in our lives as individuals and as a church over the next few months and few years so that we're just amazed by what God does? Creating a pathway through the wilderness or this tumbleweed and whatever it might be, sort of uh, cactuses or cacti and uh, sort of rocks and all this sort of in a way. God's clearing them. Here's another verse. Habakkuk 1.5. Again, Habakkuk was talking to the people around him, but maybe God is saying the same thing to us as well. This is from the Amplified Bible. Look around you, Habakkuk, replied the Lord, among the nations and see, and be astonished, astounded, for I am putting into effect to work in your days such that you would not believe it if it were told you. And that was the Babylonians. Now, the Babylonians were despised by God's people because they were the enemy. But God had a crafty plan. He was going to use the enemy to bless his people. Does that do your head in? Does that make you think, God, surely that can't be right? How can you use something that's terrible and bring glory to your name? Maybe God's doing certain things in your life that are hard and tricky at the moment. Maybe there's a person in your life that's creating a bit of havoc or some, something that's creating havoc. Maybe he's doing something that's going to astonish us, astound us by what he's saying. And in a month's time or a year's time, we'll look back and say, that was so difficult. That person was a right thorn in the flesh or that 
illness or that situation was really terrible. But God's marvellous. He brought me through. And now my feet are on solid ground again. Now my feet are on solid ground again. (laughs) And it's brilliant because God is doing something amazing and we don't see it at the time. But when we look back, because we're going to be looking back a lot because it's such a good thing to do, we know that our feet are on the solid ground. Now years ago, Nick was the main chap, the main minister here. There's a transition, and Paul became the main minister. And I bet, and I can say this easily now, because Paul and Nick aren't here, it's obviously good when, you, when they're not here. I bet at the time, eight, ten years ago or so, when Paul was starting to take over, people might have been thinking, oh, Nick wouldn't have done it like that. Oh, it's far better when Nick did it. He knew what he was talking about. Paul, oh... I think there's a transition taking place at the moment, isn't there? Maybe you might be thinking, or maybe you've thought already, Paul does it so much better than John. That's okay to think that. But there's a transition. So as we come together, we don't have to just focus on the past and think of it through rose-coloured spectacles, thinking, oh, it was so much better when Nick was doing it or Paul was doing it. But we can say, Lord, thank you for the past, but thank you for today. Thank you for what you're doing through us. Thank you, Lord. And you know what? Again, Paul's not here, so I can say my piece about him. (laughs) Paul is a top chap, isn't he? Because he is really a man of God. Nick as well, but let's just talk about Paul. I'm trying to make some changes already. Like we say, there's a transition happening, and Paul is brilliant. I'm trying to change the Sunday morning. So, as you know, like we're doing sermon series, we've changed the order of things around. What does Paul say? Go for it. He's a top chap, isn't he? We need to keep praying for Paul and Lynn because the future is still bright for them, but they need to find their feet in what God is calling them to do now. Because the things that Paul has done for years is slowly given over to me. And we want to encourage Paul, don't we? Because he's a top chap. So let's encourage Paul in our prayers. And as we speak to him, let's just say, yeah, Paul, thank you for doing this. And maybe go backwards in time, or maybe in the present time, sort of say, oh, look, thank you, Paul, for doing that. That was really good. It would be great to encourage him. We're changing as a church, and we want lots of non-Christians to join us. We've talked about the estates already today in prayer. And we want people on this estate and the surrounding houses that are being built to become Christians. And you can imagine, if quite a few people come into church, what is going to happen is change. And that's not always easy. Lamentations 3, 22 and 23 says, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. And that's the Revised Standard Version. And that's where the songwriter from the 1970s maybe got it from, the Revised Standard Version. Are we ready? If we're saying, Lord, thank you for the past, but Lord, help us to concentrate on the future and not just live in the past, I've done an A, B, C, D. 
Are we ready for adventure? For bravery? For change? For disruption? For the things that we've gone through? Are we ready for people to come along and do things differently? Are we ready for change? Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he was such a great theologian from Germany, and he wrote a book in 1937, and we call it The Cost of Discipleship. Now, I'm not very good at the German accent, as I've said before, but he called it, I'm just going to spell it because maybe some of you do speak German. So he, he wrote this title called N-A-C-H-F-O-L-G-E. N-A-C-H-F-O-L-G-E. And in English, it means following or the act of following. And this is what he had to say. Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Baptism without church discipline. Communion without confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship. Grace without the cross. Grace without Jesus Christ. Of course you have sinned, but now everything is forgiven. So you can stay as you are and enjoy the consolations of forgiveness. The main defect of such a proclamation is that it contains no demand for discipleship. In contrast to cheap grace... Costly grace confronts us as a gracious call to follow Jesus. It comes as a word of forgiveness to the broken spirit and the contrite heart. It is costly because it compels a man to submit to the yoke of Christ and follow him. It is grace because Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. God isn't calling us to cheap grace. God calls us to costly grace. To follow him despite there being disruption, change, bravery, adventure. God calls us to all those things. And maybe over the next few days and the next few weeks, God is calling us to do those things, to be adventurous, and not just for settling the things that we've done, because we've always done it that way, but to listen out for God's still small voice and say, Lord, help me to follow you. Individually, we can say that, and collectively as a church. But it seems I'm giving two conflicting messages today. Forget not. And forget. The amazing thing is, if you drive a car or ride a bike or any other vehicle, you are forgetting not, and you're forgetting at the same time. Because... We've got a mirror in the car. So as we're driving forward, where are we looking? Ahead. But sometimes I glance around a little bit, don't I? So I'm looking in the mirror. So why am I looking in the mirror then? I'm driving around. I'm making sure I don't go into any cars in front of me. But what's the point of looking in the mirror? To see what's behind. Because we need to forget not... We need to look behind us, just in case Uncle Albert's coming along on his push bike and he's doing something dangerous or whatever's behind us, because that's important. But at the same time, we've got to be looking ahead. So as we drive our cars, we can be thinking to ourselves, thank you, Lord, that's a bit of a picture for how you want to live my Christian life. 
to be looking ahead, but also now and again to be looking back and seeing where I've come from and what's happening and what's changed. So, driving a vehicle necessitates looking in two directions. Praying demands the same. So, forget not, forget. They're not contrasting and sort of conflicting each other. Both are essential. And my prayer that I've been thinking about this week is that I'll live intentionally for God so that I can use the past for a springboard for today and for the future. That it's not just living in the past and saying, I want to stay in the past. Because like we've been saying, it's Remembrance Sunday. We're remembering those that have died for us to give us freedom. And we remember Jesus dying for us to give us true freedom. But also we want to look in the past to help us today, to help us for the next few years ahead. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever. Hebrews 13.8 We change. God doesn't change. He's asking us to be committed disciples, true followers of Jesus. And it's only by God's help that we can do it, by remembering what he's done and remembering how he's brought us through. Deuteronomy 33.27 The eternal God is your dwelling place. And underneath are the everlasting arms. That's the English standard version. And so I want to encourage you today, wherever you are in life, to look back. It might be that you've got decades to look back with. Lots of experiences with God where you just think, wow, God was amazing. Even though it was hard. It might be that you've just got a few months, a few years of just living and knowing God. But what we want to do is say, thank you, Lord, for helping us in the past. Help us, Lord, to use that and to know that your arms are underneath us. Your everlasting arms are with us. So that when difficulties come, we can know that you've loved us in the past and you'll be steady, faithful and trustworthy in the future as well. Instead of me praying, I'd like us all to pray. So I've written a prayer on the screen. And so maybe you want to just read it in your head first just so you can see what it's about, if you want to say it. And then what we're going to do, we're just going to read it out loud together, if you want to say it. So let's read it together then, if you want to. Thank you, God, for your continued and committed love for us, a strong and unquenching love. We have known you closely in the past. Today, we commit to fix our eyes on you again, both today and for all our tomorrows. We trust you with our futures. You are our Lord. Amen.